Let's turn in our Bibles back to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and the last portion of the passage that we read from verse 28 to verse 35. So turning our attention there, let's again seek God's blessing. Again, O God, we pray by your spirit, open our inward eye, even as we study your truth this evening. We know that we ourselves can know much about Christ, but be distant from Christ. May understand many things concerning the truth of Christ, and yet our communion with Christ can be but distant and shallow. Lord, draw near to us, we pray. Make yourself known. Stir our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus is risen, but he is not readily recognised. He is not always revealed. On the road to Emmaus, he had drawn near to Cleopas and his friend and had spoken to them, expounding to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Our Lord had given these two disciples possibly what was up to that point the most wonderful Bible lesson, the most spectacular whole Bible sermon that the world had ever known, as he explained to them that the Christ needed to suffer and then to enter into his glory. Cleopas and his friend, like so many of the other disciples, had misunderstood or not grasped the fullness of what Christ had come to accomplish. Their instinct was to think that if he has suffered, there can be no glory. Christ needs them to understand that suffering is the way to his glory. That it's not just that you can't have the crown without the cross, but the cross is the very way to the crown. They've reached the end of their journey. They've come to Emmaus, verse 28. They've drawn near to the village where they were going. But him they still have not seen. That's been their complaint, hasn't it? Their distress. You can go back to verse 24. Certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And that's their great concern. And so it's at Emmaus, it's in the evening, and Christ indicates that he would have gone further. So there's a staying on. There's a staying on. Christ is ready to keep going. He's not play acting because Christ doesn't play games, but he certainly does not impose himself. There's a sense in which he's not inviting himself to stay. But Cleopas and his friend constrained him. And that's quite vigorous language. They were pleading with him. They were almost demanding of him that he stay. Now, you might recognise something of that. If, If somebody comes to your house 
and you know what it can be like when it's a little bit awkward uh, and, and you might really want them to stay and they're really not sure that they should. And you say, no, please, honestly, it's absolutely fine. We've got everything we need. There's always food in the cupboard. There's plenty of stuff in the fridge and the freezer. We would love you to stay. With them. Please do stay. Now, I don't think that Christ is, is effectively arguing back that he doesn't want to, but he would have gone further. He's ready to move on. This is the the appropriate time for him to take his leave. But Cleopas and his friend no longer have any intention of letting this stranger simply pass on. He has spoken in a way that has gripped their souls. The truth of God has burned its way into their hearts. They still don't know who the stranger is but they do know that they want to be near him. And so they constrain him. They plead with him. They insist upon it with all the force of Jewish hospitality. Stay with us. Abide with us. It is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. How readily, how easily... The Lord Jesus is persuaded to abide with his disciples. I think it's worth even on a practical level us remembering not to underestimate the blessings that hospitality brings to the hospitable. Now, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. What have some done without knowing it by means of hospitality? They have entertained angels unawares. I'd be pleased with that. (laughs) These men entertain the Lord of angels unawares. We perhaps think in terms of the imposition of hospitality, the cost, the pain, the, the extra effort that is required. But we should never underestimate the blessings that we can enjoy by showing kindness to those who are in need. Lot entertained angels unawares. Cleopas and his friend entertained Christ himself unawares. What good we can receive as well as give when our hearts and our homes are open for the sake of God. And what regrets might Cleopas and his friend have known if they had let Christ pass by? Can you imagine what it would have been like maybe in a week's time or a month's time? Maybe they eventually traipsed back to Jerusalem. The word hasn't reached them just yet. Did you know Christ is risen from the dead? Really? Oh, we wish we'd been there. We wish we'd seen him. We wish we'd been able to hear what he had to say. I mean, the closest we got was that strange man on the road. Do you remember him? And how our hearts burned within us. But he just moved on. Maybe if they had been there when Christ had ascended up into heaven with the other disciples, maybe then they'd have been saying, it was him. It was him. He was with us. And we let him move on. Perhaps, actually, we're closer to those kinds of regrets than we might realise. How often have we let Christ pass on? 
How many tokens of favour have you enjoyed? Perhaps you've been praying alone. You've been reading the scriptures. You felt your heart enlarged in prayer. But something must be done or the phone goes or the bell rings or whatever it may be. And you just press on. And your opportunity to spend more time with Christ passes. Do we plead that the Lord Jesus would not only draw near to us, but stay with us? How much do we lose because we don't ask? When we have those favours and those blessings, when God is pleased to favour us as a congregation, you think of the baptisms we've enjoyed. You think of the, the goodness that God has shown to us, some of the friends that he's brought among us. Have you taken note of that? Are you conscious that Christ has blessed his people? Are you pleading with him now? Lord, don't depart now. Don't just give us a few drops, but send us the showers. If you've saved a few, will you not save many? If you've blessed us in this way, will you not bless us yet more abundantly? My friends, not, let's not let Christ just press forward and pass on and, and go further as it will. But let us constrain him. And whatever it is we may not yet understand, or whatever it is we do not yet grasp, if Christ has drawn near, let us make sure that it is not for our want of pleading and asking and constraining that we do not obtain more of a blessing. We should give him a place in our hearts and in our homes. We should exercise precisely the same spirit, however ignorant they may have been, as Cleopas and his friend. And you might say, well, how do we know where Christ is? And how could we show this kind of compassion? What could we do in order to demonstrate the right kind of spirit? Let me remind you of what our Lord said in Matthew chapter 25. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You can have Christ's blessing. Not by waiting for the spectacular opportunity, but by doing it to the least of these. And doing it as to Jesus Christ. Our Lord would have gone further, but they constrained him. And he went in to stay with them. Jesus Christ is ready to draw near, ready to stay on, quick to be entreated, ready to bless his people. He was staying on. And then he was sitting down. Verse 30. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Now again, what's interesting here is that Christ is, on one level, the guest. 
It may be that Cleopas and his friend, some people suggest it's Cleopas and his wife, that Emmaus is their home, that this is their house, and now they've asked Jesus to come in as a guest. It is not the place of a guest to break the bread. That's the place of the host. I don't know what the closest equivalent to us. Now, if you invite someone over and you've got a roast chicken, do you typically cut the chicken yourself? Yeah, there are some things that you do. That's what the host does. The host serves. There's a measure of authority and responsibility in playing the part of the host. But Christ plays the host role. The guest becomes the host. And it's not even as if there's some kind of obvious transition or transaction that takes place. There seems to be a natural ceding of authority to this man on the road who spoke with such power and taught their souls so potently. And look at what he does. He sat. He sat at the table with them. He was right there in their midst. He was as close to them as he could be. And then he took bread. This is the typical unleavened loaf, a piece of flat bread. And he blessed it. He gave thanks to his father in heaven for the provision that God had made for them. We sometimes say, don't we, I wish I'd heard Christ pray. I wish I'd heard Christ give thanks for his food. You wonder what tones and and what touches there were in his praises and his thanksgivings to his father in heaven. And then he broke the bread. He pulled it apart. That would have been the normal practice. And he gave it to them. He distributed the, the pieces of the bread to those who sat at the table with him. Now, if you're familiar with your Bible... Those verbs will probably sound very familiar. He sat, he took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. This has happened before. It happened before in Luke chapter 9, when a miraculous meal was served to satisfy hungry thousands of people. If you turn back there, you can see very much the same sequence. Verse 16, he took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. There's something quite regular in that sense about what Christ does. This is not a new sequence in his experience There was, first of all, the miraculous meal. And then there was a sacramental meal. Luke chapter 22 and verse 19. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, remember that Cleopas and his friend weren't there on that occasion. This was a meal for Christ and the other 11 apostles. So you've had a miraculous meal with that sequence. You've had the sacramental meal to remind the faithful of what Christ would do. And now you have what seems to be a common meal to bless these troubled disciples. I don't think you can claim it is the Lord's Supper. We'll make a few parallels, but there's no wine that is spoken of here. 
Uh, there's no indication apart from this sequence that this is intended to be the, the sacramental meal. But there is at least this series of echoes. This is what Christ does when there's bread to be distributed. He sits or stands among his people. He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he himself distributes it. I think it's quite wonderful how close Christ draws near in the very ordinary things of life. You can't get much more regular, can you, than sitting at a table and eating and drinking. And that's where Christ is pleased to presence himself with his people. He is sitting down with them. Again, remember this is the first resurrection day. These are the first hours that Christ has been risen from the dead. Where do you find him? Sitting at a table in a little house in a village called Emmaus that we don't even know where it exists anymore. It's a few miles outside Jerusalem. And that's where the risen Lord is pleased to make himself known to his disciples. Because now they're seeing him. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Remember where we've moved from. Him they did not see. Now their eyes are opened, and they knew him, and then he vanished from their sight. Now in verse 16, their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So there were these connections and these echoes they didn't know him. They wanted to see him. Now here in verse 31, their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then he vanished from their sight. This is the Holy Spirit now lifting the veil. Now, I think there is a supernatural operation here. But I think there can also be something perhaps in the gestures, in the patterns, in the speech of the Lord Jesus. They are used to him taking bread, looking up to heaven, giving thanks, breaking the bread and distributing it among his disciples. And it may even be some suggest that it is the very act of extending his pierced hands, remember, in his glorified body, that his disciples may have seen that and this is the moment of realization what we have to see here and i think it's worth remembering whether you think of the first miraculous meal whether you think of the sacramental meal or this common table that the actions of jesus at these points are symbolic of his whole ministry he is the bread of life who has come down from heaven he gives himself to his people and over and over again when there's bread in his hands he takes it he gives thanks he breaks the bread and he distributes it to those who are around him and it's I think then no surprise that this is the moment when by the spirit's grace in their souls and in their physical eyes Christ is known to them their eyes are opened and they knew him now again, this is such an encouragement for us as we think about the resurrection. They knew him. 
It's at least possible, I suppose, that some imposter might have roamed the, 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 the streets of Jerusalem or, or gone far enough away and said, well, I'm Jesus of Nazareth and I'm risen from the dead. But they knew him. They discerned now that it was indeed their Lord and their Saviour. And he was recognisable to them. This is that Jesus who died. This is the one who was buried. They've been complaining that we've not seen him, and now they do. And this is transformative. They have heard the word of God preached to them, and now they are enjoying communion with Jesus Christ. And in this very act, in this gesture, in this ministry to them, you see the very essence of our Lord's being and doing. Friends, there is no one else in the history of this world who has ever offered himself in order to save a people from their sins. There have been some sacrifices and some of them great. There have been some grand gestures, but nowhere else have you found one who is God and man in two distinct natures, one person who has laid down his life, who has died, even this death upon the cross, and in doing so has made atonement for his people. This is the Saviour. This is salvation. And they now have seen again their Christ risen from the grave in this very uh, demonstrative act, in this so familiar series of gestures. The Spirit opens their eyes to behold their risen Lord Jesus. And then he vanishes. You wonder how they responded to that, don't you? What does that tell us about the resurrection body? Well, we're told that it will be a spiritual body and it seems to possess certain wonderful qualities. I think it's quite credible to suggest that the reason why the angels rolled the stone away from the tomb was not to let the Lord Jesus out, but to let the disciples in. He could vanish from their sight here. When the disciples are gathered in the upper room and the doors are locked for fears of the Jews, there was Christ in the midst of them. This glorious body of our Lord, risen again from the grave, possesses certain qualities that are beyond our present experience and understanding. Without wishing to indulge in speculation, do remember that that is the body that you will one day have. And we sometimes struggle with the physical limitations, the wearinesses, the pains, the griefs, the sorrows, the, the burdens of this broken flesh. We will one day bear a body like our glorious Lord. What will you be able to do? Where will you be able to go? What will you accomplish? How will your brain work? What strength will you enjoy? Will you still need to sleep? It seems that this body can travel, move, be seen and not seen. 
Remember, this is well within the scope of the work of the Holy Spirit. You've got someone like Philip, was carried into the wilderness to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. And what happened to him when he'd finished his work there? He was carried away again. I think it's exciting. I think it's strange. Can't get my head around it. But Christ is known to them. In something of that complex of the gestures and the words that he speaks, the Spirit makes known to Cleopas and his friend that the one they've been talking with is the risen Jesus. And in the moment of that realisation, he goes away and vanishes from their sight. And now they're going back. They said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This was a transformative experience for Cleopas and his friend. They had been burdened as they made their way out of Jerusalem. By the time the man on the road had finished speaking to them, their hearts were burning within them. And now, as they have sat at the table with him, they have been blessed with a sight of the risen Jesus. And their loss and their grief and their disappointment are all done and undone in that very moment. And they said to one another did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us you wonder if they're almost saying we should have known it was him we should have guessed it was Jesus but when he spoke to us when he spoke of the sufferings of the Christ and how he must then enter into his glory when he opened up the pages of the Bible to us when he explained the history and the mystery of the gospel contained in the old covenant oh how our hearts were thrilled how we saw things that we'd not seen before how we grasped truths that we'd not previously understood wasn't it shouldn't it have been obvious yes now we understand that it was christ who was speaking to us sometimes people compare their notes on a sermon these men compared their hearts after it what did it do to you what impact did it have upon you what did it do in terms of your joy your delight your understanding your appreciation of the work of god in his majesty They're energised by this. The revelation of Christ was the icing on the cake of his conversation. Now don't split the two up. What was their reaction when they'd seen Jesus? Remember what he said. The word of God was what gripped them. The truth that Christ proclaimed was what impacted their souls. And then when they'd seen him, again, they're now joining the dots. This was the one of whom he was speaking. Christ was talking of himself and our hearts were filled and our hearts were thrilled. And they are energized now by the revelation of God in Christ Jesus through the word and by this communion, 
this fellowship with him. And they got up that very hour. Now remember, they've just walked seven miles out of Jerusalem. That's not a very short distance, and it's already evening. Even common decency might have urged them to say to this stranger on the road, come in, it's going to get dark. There may be wild animals or robbers or bandits out on the road. You might say, humanly speaking, they've got every reason to say, well, we should probably just have a rest here now. But now they want to go back to Jerusalem. This news is too good to keep for themselves. I don't know if you've ever been on uh, maybe a long walk and you've, you've done your 10 or 15 or 20 mile loop and you get back to the car and you've been dragging your feet and you've found it all really heavy and wearying and you're just ready to sit down and then somebody says, oh, I left my bag on top of the mountain. Oh, I, let, oh, I think when we stopped for that last drink a couple of miles back the trail, I must have had my phone fall out of my pocket. It's quite amazing, isn't it, how fast you can then cover the territory that you were dragging your heels over for the last few hours. Why? Because there's something precious back there. And you're like a, a dog searching, trying to find it, you know, sniffing it out. And you move at a speed that you might not have done before. These men haven't lost something. They've not left something behind. They've found something. And they want to tell their friends about it. Remember that they know the disciples in Jerusalem are in the same state as these were. Yes, the women. Well, the women have said that they've seen him. The women have said there was an empty tomb. The women have talked about a vision of angels. It does seem perhaps that Cleopas and his friend may have set off before Mary actually saw the risen Christ. Because that's not referenced here. But as far as they're concerned back in Jerusalem there are other people and they don't understand that Jesus has risen from the dead they were in the same state as they have been they have known him but they have thought that they have lost him and these men now know that they have found him no obstacles no excuses how far will you travel to tell people that Jesus is risen from the dead are you not energized to know that Christ is alive Shouldn't this transform us? We've got good news. These men become evangelists to their fellow disciples. And so they go back to Jerusalem. I bet they covered those seven miles faster than they did the other direction. Maybe they didn't notice the last few miles as Christ began to speak to them and their hearts began to burn within them. But now they are running back. They're going to be a hot mess by the time they get back to Jerusalem. And they run in and they bang on the door. Tells us that these disciples knew where to find one another. They spent time with one another. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. And they knock on the door and they bust in back there's a secret knock because they're still afraid of the Jews don't know all the details at this point but they move in and say guess what's happened guess what's happened Jesus has risen from the well that's what we were going to say we've seen Jesus you've seen Jesus we've seen Jesus the Lord's risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon it's not now the ladies who are saying this it's Simon as well we've seen him you've seen him do you realise that our Jesus is risen from the dead what excitement, what mutual delight, what fellowship of joy at this meeting of minds and of hearts. 
And you can imagine what it's like. Simon wants to tell what he's seen. Cleopas wants to tell what he's seen. They told about the things that were on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. The testimony is confirmed. The saints are talking together about the things that are most surely believed among them. The witness is growing. We've seen him. We've seen him. They've seen him. The others have seen him. And there's a blessing in fellowship together as they speak about the fact that the Lord is risen indeed. Do we make that known to one another? Do we believe it and do we speak it and do we encourage one another with these things? What we seem to have here as we come to the end this evening is the typical trajectory of believers in trouble. There are struggles. Their faith is challenged. You know what that's like, don't you, brother, sister? Some season of distress some time of trial, some moment when your faith seems battered and bruised, you are challenged, you are grieved, your hands hang down, your, your whole frame is weary. And you wonder perhaps, yes, you, you know certain things, but the truth of it isn't gripping your soul. There are struggles. And then there are mercies. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Have you known that? Have you known perhaps in your times of distress, your times of pain, your times of fear, your times of disappointment, you weren't even at that stage then looking for anything. And yet that was the very moment at which your Lord drew near. He came to you and he was ready to be entreated. When he would have gone further, you said, Lord, abide with me. And the Lord was pleased to sit down with you and to make himself known to you. And then follow the comforts. Fellowship both with the Lord and among God's people. It's not unusual, is it, that? I've struggled. God has helped. I've been lifted up. And set on my feet among God's people. They told them what had happened on the road. Wouldn't you love to hear that sermon? <laughs> Let me tell you what he said about Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Samuel, Kings, Kings, Chronicles, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi. Let me tell you what Jesus told us about him in those books Oh, well, how they began to expand those things, how they began to appreciate those things, and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. He told us about himself, and he showed himself to us at the meal table. It wasn't communion. But there's a beautiful pattern of the word and the sacraments. Christ's truth spoken. And communion with the risen Jesus. 
It's one of the reasons why we shouldn't separate the celebration of the Lord's Supper from the preaching of the Word. We need to remember who we're remembering. We need to understand again who it is who is with us and speaking to us. And it was a time then of refreshing and rejoicing from him who died but lives. Our Jesus still makes himself known by his word and at the table. All of it is revelation. It's conversation and communion. The word of God in which Christ is revealed to us and then by faith at the Lord's table, Christ comes to us and we enjoy his presence with him. Does your heart ever burn at the truth which is spoken? As you read your Bibles, as they're explained from this pulpit, as the word of God is preached, as Jesus Christ is held up, as the glory of God is made known. Remember, it's not the glory of the man who preaches. It's not even the glory of how he preaches. It's the glory of the one preached. It's Christ. It's God in Christ. As the Spirit makes our hearts burn, we say, this is my God. This is my Saviour. What should we do? Lord, stay with us. Show yourself to us. And even tonight, as we come to sit at your table, will you commune with us? Show yourself to us afresh, that our hearts may be lifted up, refreshed and rejoicing, because our Jesus is risen again from the dead, and he is with us all the days to the end of the earth.